That was beautiful. Thank you, you guys. I needed that. Can you tell them who you are? Who I am, who I are. Who I are is, <laughs> my name is Laura Chestelson. I'm one of the ministry leaders at West Seattle Church of the Nazarene. And um, it is, this is just such, are, are we having fun doing this or what? I mean, this is really a fun project to come together and support each other um, in this time when you can't get too much support, right? This is kind of us all trying to establish our new normal as individuals and as churches, and so this is just fun. It's fun, and it's um, a great ministry tool in the hands of God, I think, for us to kind of come together and pull. So it's my privilege to be here on in this space. I love this space. This is. I walked in this morning here and said... Um, said to Mark just how cozy it feels. It feels like this is a good place to be for fall. Um, I was having coffee with a friend and I said to her, the pumpkin spice latte is is out at Starbucks. And she said, oh no, 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 not yet, not yet. It's still summer, it's still August. So I don't know, maybe it's a, a bad thing to, to be uh, getting excited about fall this early. But um, but it is around the corner, and I, I for one, am I'm looking forward to, to the routine and the coziness of, of, of fall and gathering in spaces like this or whatever spaces we gather in. It will be wonderful. Um, I'm also glad to be using this Bible this morning. This is Pastor Mark's Bible, and I'm praying that by opening it and holding it and re reading it, just some of the Pastor Mark wonderfulness will just osmosis into me, and I can, you know, just be blessed in that way. The truth is, I left my 40-pound NIV Bible at home, and I'm not kidding you, it's probably not 40 pounds, but the Bible I use <laughs> doesn't transport very well. I need to get a good preaching Bible. Back at West Seattle, I usually just grab one of the pew Bibles, but it's probably this thick. And it's been chewed on by my dog, so I didn't want to turn and go, you know, thus saith, oh, thus saith the Lord. Well, we don't know what the Lord said because my dog ate that page. So, so I, I have Mark's very complete Bible that we're going to use this morning for our text. And uh, we are in Acts again today. Um, we're in a journey going through this fascinating, exciting, never a dull moment book, the birth of the church, the birth of our church. In, uh, in the big picture. And in our text today, we're in Acts chapter 8, and if our text today is a rocket, the launching pad is Acts 1, 8, where um, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he has gathered and shown himself and spent some time with his disciples who have just, you know, witnessed and gone through this, this huge uh, thing with him, the whole, the whole story of his life, and then boom, the death, and now the resurrection. And I think they're all standing here going, what will happen next with our master? And they say to him, you know, we, we kind of want to know what's, what's next on the agenda here. And he says in Acts 8, you don't get to know the time. This is from the message version. The timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. So we rewind that. 
to, um, to that chapter in Acts. Um, and I want to rewind even further, okay, before we actually do our text. I want to rewind a little bit, well, quite a bit further, clear back to 2 Samuel to just kind of paint a really big picture that our text is grounded in as well. Back in 2 Samuel, I think it's, I think it's chapter 7, David uh, wants to build a temple. He wants to have a place for the tabernacle to dwell and the presence of God to just be. And so he says, I, let's build a temple. And through the prophet Nathan, God says, you know, that's, that's not a bad idea, but I, here's my idea. I'm not going to have you build the temple, but I am going to give you a son, and, and I will raise up your son to be a great king, and we'll have him build the temple. Uh, so, in essence, it was the beginning or the continuation of God saying, my presence isn't primarily to be in bricks and mortar, because out of your line, David, out of your son and his son and his son, out of David's line will come one who will both carry the hope and promise of the temple and who will build the temple and who will be the temple. And so one man from the family of David brings us the temple of God. So we do know that the immediate answer to, um, to David's request was... Solomon, his son, who was, uh, who, you know, grew to be an incredible king known for his, what? His wisdom. It's the great wisdom of Solomon, and some of those stories are just so fascinating. But he also did build the temple. Um, but still, God had a broader plan. And in the pattern in the Old Testament, we see where the bearer of the promise is also the temple, temple builder through Josiah and Hezekiah. And it all comes together now in Acts. It all comes together in Acts, where instead of the temple building, God has emphatically said that it is in this person of Jesus and in this new church that my presence where the divine touches humanity, where my presence will be known. And the trouble this causes for the current temple system is clear as, well, it, it stirs up in the Gospels, but it's really clear in Acts as, um, as the, the, temple, the, the, the uh, temple system of, of Judaism held very tightly to its, uh, its identity of, of being the place where the presence of God would dwell. And now God is saying, no, my presence is in this one. In this one I come, and in this body of my growing family, and through them in the world I dwell. So in our text today, this is the first big view of the church moving out to break barriers and take the gospel of God's presence to the world. Uh, coming off of the stoning of Stephen a couple chapters back, uh, 
one might think that would kind of be the end of the story. I mean, what a tragic and traumatic event for this young uh, group of this new movement, this, this just building energy and just building uh, kind of momentum to like, okay, we're just now starting to understand this story and our great leader, Stephen, or one of our great leaders, uh, now gets executed uh, by the Sanhedrin. One might think that would be the end of the story, but actually, Stephen's death fanned the flame. And Stephen's death became the way that the new believers would carry the presence of God into the world, would carry the message of Jesus and his upside-down kingdom to all the places. And in this scattering, they, they scattered and they spread, and in this scattering, we come to Philip, in chapter 8 today. Uh, the, and he's the deacon that we met, a deacon of sorts. He wasn't really called that, but in chapter 4, I think it was, where they picked leaders to, to do some work amongst them. That's where we meet Philip. And now he's going to Samaria, the land of Israel's ancient en enemy. So let's look at chapter 8, and we're going to start, I'm going to read uh, in verse 26. We'll go through 40. An angel from the Lord spoke to Philip. At noon, the angel said, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official and and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in the carriage, and the spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you really understand what you're reading? And the man replied, without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb up and sit with him. This was the passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, about whom does this prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? So starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water. What would keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Lord's spirit suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus. He traveled through that area, preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of our God who is for us. So, 
this story takes us places. This story takes us to places where we haven't maybe been before. And as I said, I see it as rooted in Acts, Acts 1.8, where we are instructed to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So who knows where the ends of the earth is? No one really knows except maybe it's a place we haven't been before. And now it's where we need to go. And today, it's where Philip goes. True confession. I've been guilty for uh, probably quite <laughs> some time of kind of passing over this story. I just confess in, in reading through, you know how some stories just grab you and some don't, and I just really never gave a lot of focus to this story, um, thinking it, you know, interesting, maybe amusing, but not all that engaging or important, perhaps. I now think it's one of the most extraordinary stories that Acts has to offer. Intrigue and insight at every turn. It starts... <laughs> starts with an angel. Well, that's a good start to any story, right? It starts with an angel telling Philip to go somewhere, and Philip goes, and then it ends, our passage today ends, with the Spirit snatching him like he's gone. I mean, it's, if you think about that, that's really a fascinating story. And in between those two things is this this sequence of really highly unlikely happenings. Just like almost uncomfortable it's so unlikely. Unusual enough to be believable. But if we take this story seriously, it has some serious things to say to us. So there's this angel at the beginning giving Philip directions. Maybe her name was Siri, who knows. He was he was to go south out of Gaza. Hopefully there was no West Gaza bridge with a crack in it, so he had to get rerouted 49 times. <laughs> he was lucky that he had a, this voice telling him where to go and what to do. And so he, maybe not knowing better, just followed what he heard. Have you ever heard God talking to you? Have you, have you ever had the experience of God saying something specific to you? I've, some people it's like an everyday occurrence. Some people it's, it's not. I've sat in restaurants before where I, I was sure I heard the Spirit tell me there was an, a divine appointment. I needed to be there only to have nothing happen. I have uh, come to a fork in the road and gone this way instead of that way, sure that the Spirit would lead me that way, and, and sometimes nothing happens. But... Sometimes it does, and I'm on a journey of learning to listen to my life as God speaks to me and learning to hear the Spirit's voice, and so it's worth it. The places that, uh, that I miss it or, or it's not there, um, it's worth it. One time when um, we were going through seminary, I um, was on my knees just, just crying, just pouring out my heart before God because my husband had been laid off, and I remember that day looking in the closet and we had zero diapers for my one-year-old son. And we didn't know anybody. We were new to the Kansas City area. I doubt we, I don't even know if we had a church yet. 
Um, and and we, uh, I just, I was just pouring out my heart for God. And I heard God say, go look in your box of bills. And I'm thinking, I don't, I'm not sure you understood me. I really don't need to see my bills at this point. I need some of that stuff that takes care of the bills. But, but I, it was, and it, you know what? It was one of those things where it was just a little too freaky weird of an idea. Like, who would think of that? And I went, okay, well, you know, I'm going to listen to that. So I went to my little shoebox full of bills. I wish my bills <laughs> fit in a shoebox now. But I went to this little shoebox, and I'm thumbing through. Yep, there's the car bill, and there's that bill, and there's that bill, and then insurance bill. Insurance bill? We paid our insurance premium. I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what that insurance bill is about. And I looked at it, and there was a phone number on it. I called them. Fast forward, uh, they, it was an insurance company on an injury. My husband had been injured at work about a year before. We hadn't thought much of it, but they were waiting for a settlement. Suffice it to say, by that weekend, we had a large sum of money, and I stocked that nursery full of diapers. Like, we didn't run out of diapers for a long time. But I listened to that voice, and for every time that happens, perhaps there's five times that it doesn't. But what I learned is that God does speak. And, and I'm trying, I try to live into that, not, not to set myself up on the level of Philip by any means, but to say uh, that if God can speak to someone as common as me, he can speak to us all, the voice of God. When, um, when, when Jaden was four, I know this, or maybe five, I didn't ask him if I could tell this story. Jaden, I'm telling a story about you, okay? <laughs> this came up on my Facebook feed. You know, when Facebook comes up and it's like, your memories from, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. This was 10 or 12 years ago, I don't know. But I was having a conversation with, uh, with Jaden about how God speaks to us. And I was confessing to him that I was having a hard time hearing God that day. And, and some days are like that. And we know God is still here, but sometimes we don't hear him. And Jaden said, according to my Facebook uh, memory that came up, Jaden said, it's okay, mommy. I think God was eating pizza and just didn't want to talk with his mouth full. <laughs> so I've had many days and many seasons since then where God seems to be eating pizza and doesn't seem to be speaking but I think the pattern and the motto and the mentoring that we have in scripture is to ask the spirit to continue forming our lives and forming our ears uh, because Philip got spoken to. He was told to go to the road to Gaza and he listens and he does exactly what he heard. Let's talk about the Ethiopian for a minute. The Ethiopian riding in a chariot this is an amazing profile. Uh, Luke actually gives us quite a bit of information, some actual information and some just inferred, but we can kind of paint a picture of this guy riding in this chariot. Unlike anyone else in Acts, he's traveling from Jerusalem, where he has gone to worship, even though he's not a Jew, uh, down to someplace south of Egypt. He is uh, Candace's chief treasurer. He takes care of the money of the queen. He had access to great wealth. You, we, we can gather that from the fact that he had both a scroll and he was in a chariot. Those things both go with wealth. Um, he was a eunuch, either by choice, 
because he may have had to make that choice, make that sacrifice to be able to serve in the queen's court. Or perhaps the choice was made for him if he happened to have landed under the queen's household uh, by, you know, ha her having conquered some foreign land and he was brought there. He may have not had a choice in the matter, but whatever the case, however he got there, he was a eunuch, which in, um, in that era, and from most perspectives of ancient society, um, he would have been subject to ridicule and would not have been considered a man. So here's this, this, this man in these unusual circumstances, and he's reading Isaiah. Somehow he's drawn to Judaism. Um, unlikely that he was a Jew uh, or that worshipped with the Jews, maybe in the Gentile section of the temple when he was in Jerusalem, because Jewish law would not probably um, allow a proselyte to be a, uh, a eunuch. So here's this guy. It's interesting that Luke identifies him first, first as an Ethiopian because I read that Ethiopia had kind of this this haze of mystery over it to the Roman world. Like, like uh, they saw the Ethiopians as kind of exotic, a uh, very curious and interesting people, didn't know much about them, but it was just like this, this, uh, this place and these people kind of out there on the edge of everything. All that to say, this Ethiopian court official riding in his chariot and reading Isaiah did not fit in any of the boxes neatly that people use to categorize and sort each other into. He had some social status in some areas and not so much in other areas. Um, from the perspective of most, he was not male or female. Though he was reading the Isaiah text and had been to worship in Jerusalem, it's unlikely that he was a Jew. Uh, and though he was reading scripture and there was some kind of connection, he was a stranger to Philip. More than any other character in Acts, this Ethiopian eunuch paints for us the profile of what would be called the outsider outside the Jewish circle of ethnicity, outside the Jewish circle of identity, and the specific one for which Jesus said he wants us to go to the ends of the earth for. We're not told much about the actual conversation that Philip has with the Ethiopian. Um, we're told that Philip shared the gospel and conversion occurred. But whatever Philip said, the Ethiopian clearly saw himself in the gospel story, which is revealed in his question, is there any reason I should not be baptized? Um, scripture does tell us that, that uh, Philip started with Isaiah and then went backward. I mean, started with Abraham and went backwards and forwards from there. Abraham was the kind of the epicenter, the center of their story, and they considered themselves to be people of the story. So he starts back there and he goes 
back to, I mean, you remember Stephen's sermon, the whole sweeping story. So I, I'm imagining that's, uh, you know, kind of what the Ethiopian got that day, clear back to uh, creation and the fall and Noah and the Exodus and, and on up into Abraham and all of the things of the kingdom and, and love and betrayal that happened afterwards. Is there any reason I should not be baptized, asked the Ethiopian. Matthew Skinner has a, a fun twist on this. He says that um, this question kind of underscores the crazy improbability of this whole situation. All of these funky, weird things just lining up to, to have this happen. And he said the, the Ethiopian's question um, you know, kind of underscores you have a foreigner riding in a, uh, you know, a eunuch surrounded with wealth, riding in a chariot. You have an evangelist suddenly appearing. And then in the, in the middle of all that, suddenly, oh, look, there is a pool of water out in the middle of the desert. And uh, Matthew Skinner says, it's like the Ethiopian was saying, well, would you look at that? Now we stumble upon a desert oasis. So it looks like resistance would be absolutely futile. This is happening, let me get baptized. It's like this is just too much for this to be right here. I had a, uh, a New Testament Greek professor at NNU uh, that gave this funny little illustration and it stuck with me when I um, come to interpretation and looking at scripture and trying to understand what's behind it and all that stuff. And he, he uh, gave us this sentence, a five-word sentence, and if I was more techie, I'd have done something awesome and screen shared or had it on the screen for you or something, but um, he gave us this five-word sentence surrounding the word abundance, right? And so he said, read this to me, five words, I have never seen abundance. Okay, that's clear. And then he kind of did some funky stuff with it and made the point that we could read it that way or if, depending on how we look at it, uh, the angle of the screen, you know, the clarity of the chalk or the, you know, the spacing of the letters, we could read a seven-word sentence that says, I have never seen a bun dance. So, I have never seen a bun dance. And he was using that to show us some of the, some of the weird nuances of, of interpreting the Greek. But I think it applies here because the conclusions we come to have everything to do with how we look at what we're looking at. So, in this way, um, that we see Philip beginning with the prophet Isaiah and explaining this story, explaining the Jesus story to, uh, to the Ethiopian, it's important for us to kind of have a teeny bit of understanding about how the early church viewed the prophets. Like, how would, how would, um, how would Philip be explaining this to the Ethiopian? So the early church was not about grabbing some random cool passages of scripture and arbitrarily aligning them with Jesus. Like, oh, there's one. Let's, let's have that one be Jesus too. That sounds like, let's have that one be Jesus too. Um, we just saw in, you know, in, in that sweeping sermon that Stephen gave and 
later we'll see it in Paul's sermon and in the epistles too, that they really were a people that saw the Hebrew scriptures as a narrative. They were people of a story. And even when they were dispersed over all over places, they held on to the truth that they were, they were children of Abraham, that he was their father, and that this was their story. Um, through the rebellion, obedience, love, betrayal, and tragedy, uh, this story unfolds. We often think of prophecy and the prophets as, you know, as kind of fortune tellers or, or telling, telling what's coming ahead. Philip would have not been so much focused on um, Isaiah in the aspect of him telling what's coming as he would have been focused on the story that Isaiah was plugging into, the story that he was being told, and most importantly, how this story climaxes. Every story has a climax, right? How does this story climax, and who is at the climax of the story? It wasn't like a Back to the Future vibe where Isaiah was seeing centuries ahead and then writing about what would occur. The early church and Philip would have understood Isaiah to be one really deeply immersed in praying over the spaces that Israel found herself in and seeing clearly that she needed a savior. Isaiah was praying over and writing the climax of the story that they were living in. And he was writing how Israel's new chapter, which was to come, would arrive with rescue and redemption. And most importantly, what this one, this person at the center of the climax of this story would look like. And now, Philip tells the Ethiopian, we're in that chapter. This is the new day. This is the new creation here in Jesus. And he is the climax of the story. And he not only includes outsiders and Ethiopians, but especially is for those whose sense of identity has suffered or is lost. Jesus and the new temple is here and has kicked down every barrier and flung wide open every door in bringing undying co-suffering love and radical forgiveness to all. So just kind of wrapping this up, thinking about the takeaways that I think Luke would want us to to latch on to. There's many, I'm sure, that I haven't covered this morning, but I see three things in closing that each imply a question. Number one, God speaks. God directs paths. God sometimes arranges circumstances to help us be where we need to be to have Jesus in us intersect with the world that needs this gospel. And here's a question. What might God want to do in you to help you hear and trust his voice more clearly? Here's a second takeaway. This story that Philip was in 
and that you and I are in now. This story and its mission is about God's presence. God was in the inside of this mission that he gave to the church to spread the gospel. It's his presence that through them in the daily, daily of their lives, in the common grind of every moment, that became something bigger than they were, that became something that allowed them to go places. This taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is not about our programs and our steps or our knack for organization, though all of that has its place. Without presence, without God's presence, it's really just all the walking dead. This is 100% about living in him, letting the spirit form us from the inside out and form in us this ancient, love-filled story of truth and opening, opening our mouths when he says to. And here's a question. In what ways do you experience the presence of God with you in the rhythm of your daily life? And a third takeaway Luke gives us is this. This good news is for everyone. Every one. There are no barriers. There are no advantages for anyone based on socioeconomic status, ethnic identity, sexual identity, vocation, or anything else. It's something to think about that the first non-Jew to become a follower of Jesus and get baptized in Luke's story is a black man from Africa. For those of us that grew up in the church or are comfortable speaking church ease, this last one, that the good news is for everyone, kind of sounds like a huge duh. Of course it's for all. Of course there are no exclusions. We heard this, we've heard this for so long, we believe it and we know it. I think the question though for us, or a question for us is, am I allowing the Spirit of God to take me to the ends of the earth in order that all may be included. I don't think the implication is that we need to move to North Africa or chase chariots in the desert. But is there an ends of the earth person in your neighborhood? An ends of the earth person that you work with? What does the spirit want to do in you more, to more fully carry his presence into your world. God speaks. God's presence is our home and our mission, and he wants us to carry his presence to the ends of the world, to the ends of our world, that all may know his undying love. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for being the word that brings us life. Thank you for the way that you live in us. Thank you for the way that you lived in Philip. Thank you that we have the story recorded. Father, would you 
move in us in new ways this week. Prompt us to be your church in ways that perhaps we never imagined we could. And we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.